Did you know that I knitted this myself while watching Outlander? That's so perfect. My uh, brother's girlfriend, Chelsea, Mm -hmm. she, I like posted on Facebook once that I wish I had a scarf that looked like the knitwear on Outlander. Mm -hmm. And she knitted it for me for Christmas. Oh. And she like intentionally put the weird twist in it and Mm -hmm. stuff. But I have no idea how to take care of knitwear. You hand wash it. I machine wash it. Oh. And it still looks great. Oh. It came, she got really good yarn. It came That's out nice. kind of mar- marled and tight, Ooh. you know? Yeah, tight. And I only wear it like on my... body. <laughs> Everyone knows all virgins keep it tight. Tight. They're just like all, all abs. Tight. All kegel abs. You, they clinch their entire bodies to All keep the their penises out. Yep. <laughs> That's virginity in a nutshell. <laughs> <sighs> I'm Morgan. And I'm Isabeau. And this is Womance. Where we talk about romance novels. Bodice busters. <laughs> <laughs> Fan fiction. Very big Scotsman. Mmm. Virginal satin sheets, pearls, clips. <laughs> and this week we are talking about the inimitable Beast by Judith Ivory. <laughs> Question Judith Ivory. Yeah. I'm not sure that's her real name. <laughs> I don't I don't want to be quoted here. I'm not, I'm not sure. I don't want to. <laughs> Maybe it is. No, she's Judith Ivory of the Baltimore Ivories. Oh, right. <laughs> who, 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 strangely enough, got their fortune in piano felt. <laughs> Tickling the Ivories of Baltimore. Oh. All right. So we are here. To talk about Judith Ivory's Beast. You know, Morgan, mm. I have a question for you. Sure. Why did you suggest this one? This is this is a Morgan pick, dear listeners. Yes. So, okay, so on, I discovered this title mm-hmm. on NPR's Best Romance Novel Whoa. List. So I turned to this because mm. I wasn't able to hang out with you for a while and get mm. recommendations from you. Fair. I, had to, I was forced to turn... To the cold night of the internet, mm-hmm. and I was presented with this list that NPR put together of the best romance novels, and it mm-hmm. was considered, and it was careful, a little better than some articles about romance novels, mm-hmm. but one of their recommendations was this book. Interesting. And I saw the cover art, and right. I was like, that's interesting. Pretty good. Pretty good cover art. And I also heard the concept, and it was like nothing else on the list. hmm and I was like, I've got to read it. Mm-hmm. So I read it the week I was moving, which oh, wow. was bold, horrible, hot, yep, gross. I slept on a hardwood floor. Yep, I ended up sleeping on a hardwood floor for three nights. That's awful. It was the worst, and and I found myself. I read the book kind of compulsively Mm. but I didn't like I didn't feel drawn to it in my moments of leisure I just felt like I had to and I wonder if I wasn't like clutching at a moment of leisure and that book was what I had 
That's interesting because, I mean, other than the fact that you recommended this and, you know, we're on this venture together, I also felt strangely drawn to this novel, even though, generally speaking, I didn't enjoy it. Yeah. 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 Like it was, it wasn't a slog because I wanted to read it, but I wanted to read it despite myself. Can I say something kind of crazy maybe? Please do. I feel like this might be the eraser head of romance. No, I'm not ready to go there yet. We have a lot more romance novels to read (laughs) again. Can I, can I explain why? Yeah. I think you're going to have to walk that back when we get to something else. (laughs) Um, so I went to see Racerhead in theaters and mm. I'd seen it outside of theaters. Mm. Uh, I would say it's an excruciating experience in theaters because of the sound and it mm-hmm. kind of overwhelms you and it's enormous on that screen mm-hmm. and everything. And, but it's just so weird and it's concept and it's so fully committed, but it's also just trying to get, it feels like it's trying to like get through itself. Yes. And you're kind of on the journey with it. Like, yes. What is happening? Yes. I can't take a break, though. Right. Like, you feel like you have to see it through. Yeah, I mean, in that way, this book and Eraserhead have a lot in common with, like, bad binge shows. Like, I've committed Mm -hmm. nine and a half hours to this, and there are only four more to go. I gotta keep doing it. There was this great article on Vulture Mm -hmm. about the difference between Mm binge-watching and purge-watching. Oh! And they were like, purge-watching is where you're like, I just gotta get through it. Gotta get it out. Yeah. Gotta get it out. Yeah. Cut it out of me! (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And I I don't think this... I, I wouldn't equate this experience to purge watching Mm -hmm. and I wouldn't say it was like sensation wise totally like watching Eraserhead Mm -hmm. but there is kind of that like principle of so let's give our listeners here for there's let's let's give our listeners a brief synopsis of the book itself and then talk about perhaps some of our skeevy feelings a little bit more in depth yeah what skeeves us out about it yeah sure So, Beast is the story of a French aristocrat Mm -hmm. who is blind in one eye. Yep. And he walks with a a pronounced limp. Because he has rheumatoid arthritis. Because he has rheumatoid arthritis. He is 36. Mm Mm-hmm. And he's a perfumerer. Yeah, he's a he's a, a fellow of leisure. Mm-hmm. He's a gentleman, but he's obsessed with making perfumes out of this very interesting substance called ambergris. For those of you who don't know what ambergris oh. is, it is a sperm whale particular uh, feces or um, barf. This they run into these giant squid at the bottom of the ocean, and they can't digest the squid beaks, so their bodies form this protective coating around these beaks so it doesn't rip up their insides, and then they either barf or fart it out in these giant clumps called ambergris. Um, So what's really cool about ambergris is that it's a really important preservative. Yeah, and it cures in the salt water. Like, it doesn't wash up on shore as, like, a big, phlegmy 
poop barf barf right it like cures on the in the salt water and then it kind of comes to the surface as this and it smells like loam is the way that it's described well it's the scent of amber right which if you've ever been to a bath and body works if you're (laughs) if you're near a bath and body works go inside right now Mm -hmm. take a big whiff of amber because they've got the hand lotion they do have the hand lotion. They've you know what got else? The scented candles. You know what other scent features strongly in both Bath and Wabadi works and this novel? Jasmine. <laughs> <laughs> Every page is like <laughs> drooling in jasmine. Yes. Jasmine. Her natural scent is jasmine, which is pretty amazing for an American. Yeah, my natural scent is Not cheese and onion enchilada. Mm, mine has an. Uh, a soupçon of potato. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, so here's this French gentleman of leisure who's obsessed with making beautiful perfumes and he Mm -hmm. wants to get in on the ambergris game. Uh Uh-huh. He meets... uh, Gotta go to America. Yeah, gotta go to America, gotta get an heiress because his estate and his vocation requires an heiress. And he finds one. Yeah, well, her father is a shipping magnate. Who is also clandestinely in whaling. Yeah, and he... Which are not the same thing. Which he gets a lot of ambergris. From his shipping company, which is different than a whaling company. I love the implication that he's just, like, constantly on the sea and this, like, ambergris is, like, dipping into his boat. He's, like, pull it up. Pull it up. Might as well murder some sperm whales while we're at it, boys. And this this is my first point of skeeve. Like, Uh the father and mother, in particular, really hunt our main character, Charles. Charles. (laughs) Charles. Um, They send Charles the picture of their one and only daughter, Mm -hmm. their treasure, and they're like, you should marry her, sight unseen. But here's this picture. She's great. We're going to wine and dine you in our own private rail car from New York to Miami to convince you to... (laughs) Marry our 18-year-old daughter. Yeah. I also think... But there was this kind of... This theme, this trope that runs through some romance novels about how American women Mm -hmm. of wealth, Mm -hmm. who would have been nouveau riche for Mm -hmm. their time... Their families were very interested in getting them titled, European titles. Yeah, yeah. And, like, uh, Winston Churchill's mom. Dolly Churchill. She was a Brooklyn bitch. She was a Brooklyn bitch who, rumor has it, birthed him on a sleeping couch at a ball because she didn't want to leave. Dolly Churchill's very interesting. And you're right. There is an incredible trope. There's a wonderful um, novel that came out in the 80s called The Buccaneers. Mm -hmm. And it's all about the troop of young women from America who marry bad British lords. Yeah. That's definitely a trope. But generally, the women aren't marrying these men sight unseen and then jumping into the liminal space of the ocean on a liner (sighs) 
to go and marry that a person that their parents have picked up. That's like generally not. So on this their, is they're getting on their dad's ocean liner. Right. So like in this <laughs> in this way Beast really confounds a very common Victorian romance novel yeah. trope in a way that I found like like the trope's gross enough, but like this made it just like just a shade darker. What about their clandestine meeting place? Uh, a kennel. Mm-hmm. There is a kennel on the ship. A luxury liner. On the luxury liner. The Concordia. Where our young heroine keeps her puppy. Also, we should probably name our young heroine at this moment. Mm-hmm. Louise. Louise. Also sometimes referred to as Lulu. Lulu. Which Charles hates, even Charles. though she asks him to call her that. Yeah. He's like, no. Also, bit. here, I want to, I actually want to talk about, I want to get back to the kennel, but mostly I want to start <laughs> out at the very beginning. So chapter one, you beast, you rotter, you scum, you swine. Charles Harcourt. Say it in an Italian accent. Do it right or don't do it at all. <laughs> you beast. <laughs> you sounded like a cartoon mouse. Charles Harcourt slid his pillow out from under his head, using it to fend off slaps of open palms, a thrashing of naked arms. When the blows didn't stop, he rolled away through the dark, across the bed and out of reach. I was going to tell you, he said, as he swung his bare legs over the edge of the Use mattress. A French accent or don't do it at all. <laughs> when? As you handed me the wedding ring to And Pia. What the fuck kind of name is Pia? Italian. Anyway, he's in bed with his mistress. He's in bed with his mistress. That's where the story opens on an ocean liner. <laughs> the Concordia. His, his, she's upset because she's found out that he's going to marry um, an 18 year old. An 18 year old American. And his counterpoint met. is, I can't keep having sex with you because I want to have sex with you without a French letter. And your condom. And your husband is gonna give you an STD, and I don't want to get that. Also, they called them STDs then, not STIs. That's true. They didn't even call them STDs. They called them venereal No, diseases. I didn't want anyone to get mad at me. Oh. <laughs> I didn't want any of those doctors out there who write angry letters to romance novel podcasts. Looking at you, Beverly. <laughs> Anyway, he can't keep having sex with his mistress of two years because he wants an heir, and more than that, he wants a family. Like, and, I, and he kind of, you kind of get the impression that he's using his marriage to give mm -hmm. Pia a bit more of a serious ultimatum. It does feel that way, mm -hmm. which again positions our ostensible heroine Louise into this really weird space of being a tool rather than a heroine. Yeah. 
And let's talk about the pluckiness of the heroine. Mm. But I think Pia is a good foil. Because to me, Mm -hmm. I'm like, Pia is plucky. Pia is plucky because her husband is gross. She doesn't love him. She's done her duty. He may or may not give her venereal disease, a.k.a. syphilis. Mm -hmm. Um, But she's seeking love on her own terms. And, like, she really does love Charles. And later in the novel, you kind of get the impression that Pia and her husband have an agreement. They don't believe in monogamy. Right. And they've kind of worked that out for themselves. Yeah. Pia seems happy in her condition and the fact that Charles is giving her... is trying all these different ways to give her an ultimatum ultimately makes me identify with Pia more. Although we're not supposed to. Although we are not supposed to. She is described as voluptuous. Right. Whereas Lulu is... Nubile. Nubile. Mm. They talk about how Pia wears too much makeup. Mm -hmm. But I'm like, I don't know. Pia sounds cool. Not only is Pia cool, but she also wields the limited power that she has in a way that makes her powerful. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one of the key pieces of romance fiction in general that is really compelling to modern readers. Yeah. Where it's like women in extremely limited circumstances carve out spaces for themselves. Yeah. And Pia does that. And it and it's weird that we're not supposed to identify with her. It's weird that we're not supposed to like her. And it's weird that like Charles wants her to leave her husband and her family for nothing. Like yeah. he wouldn't be able to marry her after that. No. And he has not offered that. No. And so it's like he's offering her nothing except like he wants monogamy. From her. Right. Yeah. I'm like, eh. Yeah, his beef is like, you have to have sex with your husband anytime he asks for it. And her counterpoint is, no, I don't. Yeah. Which is kind of the counterpoint of this entire novel. But I think it's interesting that this character mm-hmm. not only says, I don't have to have sex with my husband anytime he wants, I choose to. Mm-hmm. And it's like a real knife and old Charles is back. Maybe I'm remembering that wrong. No, you're remembering that right. Also, Charles is like, like, I mean, we all really love sensitive heroes, but like, he's sensitive in a way that is not appealing. Okay, so going forward, <laughs> he breaks up with his, he has the last sex he'll have with Pia. Mm-hmm. And then he, his, there's a whole big complicated thing. His... <laughs> Fiance. How long is this book? It's, it's so long. It's it, a big end. It's a big end. He's on this boat, which he's not supposed to be on, mm-hmm. and his fiance, Louise, is also on it. Suspiciously on the boat. Yeah, he's a secret boat rider. Um, and Louise is on it with her parents and her family, all going to France for this wedding. But he's not supposed to be on it. Three hundred seventy-five Dickens pages. Yeah, it's a lot. He's not supposed to be on it. So then it creates this whole space wherein he gets to trick our heroine Louise into falling in love with him because he's afraid because he doesn't he has a dead eye and a limp. Yeah. That she won't love him because she's this nubile eighteen year old and he's thirty six. He is double her age. So he like catches her mm-hmm. flirting with a sailor, mm-hmm. having a little a little tete tete. A little tete tete with a sailor and First this- officer. She's a discerning heroine. <laughs> But the first officer is, um, she's rejecting his advances because mm-hmm. she's going to marry Charles. And the first mm-hmm. officer is like, he's ugly. He's ugly. And she's like, mm, I don't like ugly guys. Because I'm gives, so pretty. Because I'm so pretty. What am I going to do? And so she gives him a kiss. But she's also, she like kind of acknowledges the first officer as being like bogus and full of shit. And she doesn't, you know, make it happen with him. But Charles is so wounded. By the idea that she might be loose. 
by even the idea that she would, he always says like, he's going to teach her a lesson mm-hmm. for being um, shallow. Right. He's going to make her fall in love with him, right. the man. Except not really. Right. Because he creates this persona mm-hmm. of an exotic, mm-hmm. air quotes. Can we talk about the, <laughs> can we talk about the exoticism that is deployed in this the novel? The brown face? Yes. And how uncomfortable it makes us. Now, he doesn't actually put on, like, makeup or anything. He puts on the garb. But he puts on the garb, so she's always only seeing, like... Very little of him. Very little, like the tail end of a robe, and then they're always meeting in complete darkness. At his fucking insistence. Yeah, because he's... I don't know why. It's because he's afraid that she will judge him based on his looks, because she's constantly judged on her looks. I'm trying to find, like, why... What reason he gave her as... Was it a Shaw? Oh, that he's the Pasha? The Pasha, yeah. Mm -hmm. What reason he gave her as the Pasha... To because they could be more real with each other in the dark than they could oh, be otherwise. Oh, that's right. You were giving. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just. <sighs> so there's like a weird Orientalism thing, like fetishism with that happening, which is also appropriate to the era. Yes, it is. It's time appropriate on Lulu's part, mm-hmm. Louise. But it's like kind of gross on his part. He also does have dealings with North African Muslims. There's also like an actually. This is one of the things that I did like about the novel where. Louise is intrigued by this quote-unquote Arab man mm-hmm. and goes immediately to the library on the Concordia and looks up everything that she can about North African Muslims. And then she ends up knowing more about this culture based on these books, which isn't great, mm-hmm. but, like, fucking calls him on it. And yeah. he's like, I'm not like that because I have money. And, like, moneyed North Africans drink wine. <laughs> yeah. And she's like, that's weird. You're Muslim. I also think it's interesting that he, in the book, Judith Ivory doesn't entirely get away with this, because in the book, it, like, goes into his personal perspective, and he's like, I've known wealthy Mm -hmm. Pashas, and they drank wine. The perspective shifts in this novel are also very odd. We Mm -hmm. stay almost entirely in Charles's perspective, which is very odd for a romance novel and very off-putting. And the only times that we move (laughs) into Louise's perspective are times to humanize Charles for his bad behavior. Yeah. Which is like a fucked up way of telling the story. And very uncommon in romance. And it's incredible that like the last book we read was a novella Mm -hmm. and it was entirely from the female character's perspective Mm -hmm. and so you got surprises Mm -hmm. in this book you also get surprises but it's because you've lived so heavily in charles's perspective yes and it's 375 pages long it is a really long book it's a really long book to not get a real sense of lulu yeah and we really don't having said that the scene at the party Mm mm-hmm where she's now married to Charles. Mm-hmm. She doesn't know that he's her Pasha, as she calls it. Right. And he's kissing her wrist. Mm-hmm. I was very into that. I agree. <laughs> what, what I loved... Okay, so they, he seduces her on the ship as the Pasha. Mm-hmm. And then they have to leave, and she has to marry him, except mm-hmm. she doesn't know it's him, and he knows that he's concocted this entire fucking... But guess what? He actually fell in love with her. Uh, he discovered she wasn't actually shallow. Right. She actually has a beating heart and a brain, and she's like, all of these things, uh-huh. la, 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 la. And so he becomes, instead of this, like, cocksure asshole, he becomes this kind of 
this Diffident is the other thing. and hesitant. A little pathetic. A little certainly from pining. Uh, certainly from Louise's perspective. And he tries to kiss her and it doesn't work out. And, and then like, he gets real butthurt about it. Yeah, he like he has one of those moments where he like they get married and she won't have sex with him. Because she's like, still in love with another man. Yeah. And he's like, that's fine. I still love you. And he puts together this elaborate bachelor style. That's what I thought about when I read it. It hang was on. like an episode of The Bachelor. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Before we get to that, because I agree that was very moving, there are two things that I want to talk about. I, I didn't to, find it moving. I want to talk about the initial sex scene when he's the Pasha, because that's fucking weird. I have pulled my turtleneck <laughs> on top of my head. You have. It's adorable. <laughs> like a real turtle. You turtle, turtle. book makes me turtle. Yeah, I think that's the right reaction. Okay, so I want to talk about the first sex scene. Yes. When he's lying to her and mm-hmm. ends up taking her virginity. Mm-hmm. And then I want to talk about that scene that I think you're getting to after they've gotten married um, in the bachelor scene where he sets out this elaborate dinner for her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I want to talk about those together. Okay, let's okay. do it. You ready to talk about that sex scene? The first one? Yeah. Sex scene. Yeah. Where she's like, yeah, we're going to have sex. They've met at the kennel. Uh-huh. It's been dark in the pit of this place where their dog's barking and, like, they've had this moment. He was, like, literally on top of the cages, wasn't he? Yeah, hiding very, from her. Very beastly. Yes. He's constantly sort of, like, <gasps> That's hul- the title of the book! He's, like, hulking over her a lot. Yeah. He skulks. He skulks. Like a beast. Okay, where do I get it? It happens really early in the book. Like, in the first quarter... They have sex. Yeah. I thought the sex scenes were pretty good. They were okay. And I'm super... Well, we'll talk about that. Okay. So this is this is what I want to talk about. So they have sex. He's, like, building her up. It's great. There's actually, like, a ton of foreplay in this. Mm-hmm. Like, the sex scene is super long. And that's yeah. great. It feels very natural. She makes the confection, confession that she... Because <laughs> she is a, confec- a jasmine confection. <laughs> she makes the confession that she's technically a virgin. Which I love. I do, too. It was very funny. And he doesn't handle it super great. No. Because he gets all, like, weird and butthurt. Like, because he's, like, deeply embedded in his mind. There's, like, a sort of inception thing happening here. Because, like, he has a moment where he's like, I want to share this beautiful, intimate, physical moment with her as an honest man, as her husband. Yeah. But I'm already here, and I've already lied to her and, like, made this whole (laughs) thing clear. So, like, I really want to do her. So I guess we're going to have to do that. And then he's like, I'm going to have to break your hymen with my hands. Um, it ought to be possible, and it should save you the pain when I want your attention elsewhere. She felt more than one finger. She didn't know how many. It felt like half his hand. She struggled briefly, Shh, he said. His thumb found that place again, like the button he could push. Touch that made her weak with longing for something imprecise. Only God knew what. I do like in this book that there's not that kind of, this is the oral sex scene, and this is the cunnilingus scene, and this is the blowjob scene, and this is the um, sex from behind scene, Mm -hmm. whereas, like, I feel like everything kind of flowed together, there wasn't any, like, kind of presentation of sex as, like, singular behavior or activity. Yeah. Like, you can, I kind of get the feeling from romance novels sometimes that you can only do one thing at a time. Yeah. That definitely seems to be a thing with romance novels, but we're often dealing with, like, episodic pride. Yeah, episodic sex scenes, which is very odd. Yeah. I'll grant you, this one does feel organic in a way that many don't. But, like, I'm not going to use the word assault, Mm. but, like, the next part of this... It it is, because he's... 
not being completely honest with her. He lunged entering her. Like, there's this bunch of stuff in this sex scene that makes me really uncomfortable. Also, she has consented to sex with this Pasha. Who is not Charles. Who is not Charles. Yeah, that's a good point. And it's like... Yeah. It's not fun, silly role play. Not at all. She genuinely believes he's someone... He's not. And she has sought out this relationship Mm -hmm. because she's decided she wants to experience something before her husband. Right. Because she's being sold in marriage for whale vomit. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah! <laughs> right. So, like, there, this sex scene is happening on a level of skeeve that I'm really uncomfortable with. Yeah. And, like, it turns out okay, and, like, many orgasms later, they have sex six times throughout the night, and, like, all of that's nice. But there are a couple, like, the word choice in this passage is deeply unsettling, which is, like, I think pretty typical of this book, where it's like, oh, this is a great sex scene, or, like, this is great dialogue. Yeah. Let me unsettle you with a term, like, she lay there stunned, so strange to contain something, someone, so large in so small a space. Do you know what I find super telling? What? The introductory quotes. Mm, of the ambergris? Are they real ambergris? Like, is Charles based on a real person? I don't think so. There are these passages are that are from, like, Charles's academic papers right. about ambergris. But there's also, she quotes Baudelaire poetry, <laughs> which she picks some really beautiful Baudelaire poems. Beautiful Baudelaire. But there's also Baudelaire poems where yeah. he talks about skull-fucking a decapitated head. Yeah, I agree. This is a weird choice. That's the thing about this book that I really enjoy is how (laughs) weird it is. It is really fucking weird. And it leans all Mm. the way into its weirdness. It does. It leans into it, and then it winks at it. Yeah. Then it nudges it. I find it incredible. Like, to me, the most erotic scene is when he's publicly kissing her wrist at a party. That was very erotic. And I find it, like, fascinating. I think there's, like, something interesting I say this word too much, but kind of incredible about that. I agree. Like, the eroticism of the simple, like, wrist kiss in that scene, it is, it's so erotic. Like, I mean, it, like, it certainly got my engine revved. Like, Like, I don't even want to read it on air. It's all doing it in front of her parents. Oh, yeah. At a garden party. At a garden party. In the light Uh, of the good Lord's day. uh, Which is a huge... Symbolic reversal from all of the other ways that he's kissed her body in the dark. Wrist smooches. Yes. I agree that was very wrist smoochy. It was very sexy. Here's the other thing that skeeves me out. They get married. La 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 la. She's like, you have to accept the fact that I've had sex with someone else. You're being super cool about it. Thanks. Her parents are also surprisingly cool about the revelation that she's had sex. And like, I kind of loved that, especially since it's so clear that her parents love her. And I think that's really nice. Also, they don't equate her value with her virginity, and I think that's nice. Yeah. Um, But then he organizes this picnic on the terrace. He dismisses her maid Mm -hmm. and is like, we're going to get it on tonight because we got married. Yeah. And she's like, "Mm, I'm not ready, and I'm not going to sex you up. And then he doesn't take it super gracefully and then (laughs) is like, okay, uh, let me kiss you goodnight. And she's like, no, I don't want that either. And then he turns away from her and flips the table. And then on, Real Housewives exactly. of New Jersey. He's just like, Hoo-ah! and it's like <laughs> crashing glass and crashing plates. And like she's sitting there with her heart beating against her ribs as this man who's much stronger and yeah. much taller than she is yeah. 
destroys the dinner he's made for her, and then attacks he the palm plant. It. I mean, okay, he ordered his servants to make it. Let's be real here. But then he asked them to leave. He gave yeah. them a night off. Right, which is also weird. And, like, he destroys this whole fucking thing in a really violent scene. Yeah. And then slams off, like, yeah. walks into the library. Yeah. And she just, she has to choose her next move. And she, like, chooses to gracefully get up. She lifts the hem of her skirts because, like, and there's this moment where she's like, there was nothing else for it. Yeah. And that felt too true. So true. There are moments in this book that it's like... We're not in romance anymore. Oh, boy. Or, like, on the liner when Mm -hmm. everyone is seasick Mm -hmm. and she goes to see her parents Mm -hmm. after she's had sex with her Pasha. Mm -hmm. And her parents are sick... But they're also very in love with each other. And yeah. she gets frustrated that they're more invested in one another than what's going on with her in these huge life changes. And it was such a clear-eyed description of mm-hmm. what it means to begin to have an adult relationship with your parents. Yes. And which I think starts with realizing they have a life outside of you and yes. being resentful of it. Yes. And not having the words for it. Yes. That... Judith Ivory perfectly describes through a narrator who cannot perfectly describe it themselves. No, I think that's really right. But in that same moment, like it hammers home how young she is in a way that, again, is super gross when they're selling her in marriage to a guy who wants to buy whale vomit who is 36. And the book acknowledges that she's young. Yeah, like too young. Like too young to get there. Like, isn't this crazy? If you just heard a tinkling sound, (laughs) that was the. Restless Earth, mm. Petit Serra, <laughs> 2016. Mm. What a good year. From Santa Barbara Highlands Vineyard. Mm. Shout out, Clinky. Chin chin. Chin chin. Ah. The taste of jasmine and ambergris <laughs> just wafts mm. up the bouquet. Oh my gosh. Do you think, I feel like it's like the most heavy handed um, metaphor that. He loves Jasmine. Mm, so much. Jasmine's his shit. Yeah, he's like Aladdin. But he can't, <laughs> he can't make a perfect perfume without right. this ambergris to yeah. balance it. Right, because it needs the earthy. It needs the earthy. Loamy. <laughs> sperm whale barf. How do you feel about the scent of amber? Amber doesn't have a scent. That's a fucking lie that's being sold to me by Bath and Body Works in this novel. If you had... Two Bath and Body Works branded hand lotions in front of you. Mm. One of them was jasmine. Mm-hmm. The other one was amber. Mm-hmm. Warm amber, I mm. believe it's called in stores. Mm. Which one would you reach for? The warm amber because the jasmine smells like cloying grandmas. Yeah! I yeah. would always reach for the amber. Because the jasmine, and this is particularly to Bath and Body Works, but also maybe <laughs> this novel's description of jasmine, yeah, yeah. where it's like, it's trying too hard. Yeah! It's like, jasmine, jasmine, night-blooming jasmine, day-blooming jasmine, jasmine in her hair, jasmine on her skin, but there's an undercurrent of her nubile, like, la-la-la-la-la. <laughs> and I'm like, fuck you, jasmine, by the end of it, I don't want to smell it ever it's like moon blooming orchid or what some shit what does moon blooming smell like it smells like nothing just like a beautiful fragrance of jasmine with a slight hint of intact maidenhead (laughs) is kind of what they imply uh more than kind of more than kind of maidenhead maidenhead hymen (laughs) for yeah if anyone was like What's a maidenhead? It's a hymen. A lady flower. Oh, wow. Wow. Do we know any other terms? Are there any other terms in romance novels for that? The barrier. I don't know. They say intact all the time. They do. That's problematic. 
Anyway, I don't know. That skews me out. I am broken. <laughs> My only worth is in a thing that I can neither see nor touch. The button on the lid is popped. <laughs> I do love it when they refer to the clitoris as the button. The button. button. Pearl. Oh, I do. Pearl is nice, though. What else are you going to call it in 1889 when this novel takes place? Yeah, what are your 1889 references? Pearl. Reference button. Pearls. Buttons. That's it. There's, oh, Manda Venus, but, like, that's your entire vulva. There aren't that many. Like, no. you are pretty much limited to those two. Your naughty nose tip. I've never heard that. Have you ever been to a novelty party where they sell vibrators? Yes. They tell you to test it on the tip of your nose mm. to check the intensity. Ooh. Because some of them vibrate so fast you can't see them vibrating. <laughs> Actually, that's a great idea for uh, womance. We should test vibrators. Um, you just hear like, and then like someone sneeze. <laughs> good radio. That is good radio. Good family radio. <laughs> good family radio. Anyway, to circle back to whale barf and the end of this book. I think that's why I recommended this book is because you're so into whales. I do love whales. And there's an element of whale in here. There is. Not enough, though. I also loved the descriptions of the ocean specifically. They go through an Atlantic storm, and they also possibly maybe hit an iceberg. So there's an element of danger in this novel that I really enjoyed. What it didn't have... It had the whiff of death, which we talked about in our last episode. Um, But it didn't have it at the end. It only had it at the beginning. I'm sorry. Can we talk about the end? Sure. Let's talk about the end. I feel like Mm. Miss Judith Ivory... Judith Ivory. ...tied a knot she couldn't undo. Agreed. And it just got dumb. Yeah. I think she realized that she had taken it too far, Mm. that no one would realistically (laughs) keep that secret for that long, Mm -hmm. and didn't know how to undo it. Yeah. So what happens at the end, Morgan? So... Lulu slowly starts to fall in love with Charles, Mm -hmm. the real Charles, and not only fall in love with him, but start to feel tinglings of attraction. Mm. For the gimpy, one-eyed, ambergris dealer. Yeah. And um, she starts to have feelings for him, and then she realizes that he's the Pasha, Mm -hmm. but she doesn't tell him that, and Mm -hmm. she keeps trying to give him these outs to admit it, Mm -hmm. and he doesn't. And he gets in over his head, and Mm -hmm. he's like... Okay, if you're so in love with him, I'm going to bring him to dinner with mm-hmm. us because I know him personally because of my work. Mm-hmm. And she's like, great, I can't wait to see him. And he's mm-hmm. like, great, I can't wait <laughs> for you to, to see, see him. him. And she's knocked up. That is maybe a bigger point that we need to circle back to. She gets impregnated by him when he is the, the Pasha. Pasha. Which is so, and this is the thing again that really skews me out about this book. He tries to confess, but she doesn't believe him because he comes in. You know, she has this doctor visit. They file, find out that she's pregnant, and she knows that she's become pregnant on the ship because she hasn't had sex with her new husband because she's still deeply in love with the Pasha. Yeah. So in her mind, she's an unfaithful whore who's yeah. now carrying a bastard. And Charles comes in and says, "I'm the father." And she says, oh, Charles, you're the best man I know. So noble, so kind, but between us, no lies. And I think it even best we tell my parents that this kid isn't yours. And he's like, no, but I am the father. And she's like, 
we can tell everyone that and like thank you for standing by me yeah and he's like no I am though and she's like I get what you're doing, but, like, between us, I will only have honesty. And, like, in that moment, I'm 100% in Lulu's corner. Yeah. But he's, like, gross. And he allows her then in, like, the thing that you were just saying, I'm going to have him to dinner. I know him through work. (laughs) (laughs) And, like, it's gross that he fucking says those things to her. Yeah. And then he gets to the point where he's, like, I can't actually pretend to be two men at a dinner party. Which, like, thank fucking God. Because I thought there were going to be another 150 Mm. pages of, like, nutty professor hijinks. Which is, like, also unexpected. This book is not a book of hijinks. Which is also kind of what it wants to be. It is. And I'm like, you are not that, Judith Ivory. You are not funny. You're dealing with a lot of (laughs) things that are not funny. God, it's so, okay. It's, like, something that tries to be comedy and then isn't. But without, like, the tenderness of, like, the Royal Tenenbaums to make another movie. You know, comparison. Yeah, it just It kind of lacks a certain tenderness, uh, which I find in its own way charming, I think. But it's just so... Neither of the main characters mm-hmm. are likable. Which is so <laughs> weird for a romance novel. They are both total caricatures. Like, not caricatures. They are nuanced. Yeah. They do have depth. They are surprising. Yeah. But, like, not likable. No, you wouldn't want to hang out with either Mm-mm. of them. I do want to hang out with Lulu's parents, though. <laughs> Lulu's horny parents. Yeah, they love each other so they much. And they really love their girl. Yeah, they love her enough to... Sell her to an ambergris dealer. Yeah, they just want her to be titled. They really do want that, which is weird. Oh, and the book is so snobby about them not understanding French titles. I didn't like that. It, dumb American tropes are never that interesting to no, me, even if not. they're historically accurate. <laughs> so anyways, he like throws a fit. Mm-hmm. He like throws himself down the stairs in an mm-hmm. attempt to get her to stay, mm-hmm. Lulu to stay, once she like confronts him. Like, mm-hmm. I, I know you're a fucking so liar who lies. To be honest with me, and you didn't. And he like throws himself down the stairs, and Boo-hoo. she's like, no, you're the worst. Yep. And my parents love me. My parents love me. I'm going to go stay with them. Mm-hmm. And they end up together in the end, of course. Well, that's how romance novels work. That's, that's part of the trope. I've never read a romance novel where they didn't end up together at the end, even when maybe they shouldn't. And this is one of those <laughs> yeah. times where, yeah, she did give him out. She wanted him to tell her. And he couldn't because of his pride, his fear, his whatever. And, like, I think that's, one again, one of the things about Judith Ivory is, like, she... She taps into something that feels a little too true for a genre that feels almost exclusively escapist. Yes! And it's just... I can't bring this point home enough. It's Mm. just so weird. Yeah, it's fucking weird. You should read it. sucking... (laughs) Which is so sexy. So sexy in public at her parents' garden party. There's the their first clandestine meeting in a kennel. Which is super weird. I don't even remember how he ended up on top of the kennel. It's because he's unscrewing the light bulbs because he wants to meet her at midnight, and she shows up to visit her dog while he's unscrewing the light bulbs. Yes. That's right. Because he's a psycho. whoopsie-daisy. <laughs> this, is, this is, I don't know if you listeners ever watched How I Met Your Mother, but there was a wonderful episode called um, Dobbler, as in Lloyd Dobbler from... Uh, say anything, or Dahmer, as in Jeffrey Dahmer, the Dobbler, that's so murderer. Good. Yeah. So then on the scale of Dobbler or Dahmer, 
where do you fall in a creep factor? Like Dobbler, where it's like, it's not creepy because you you are mutually wanted and someone is consenting to your creepy radio mm-hmm. holding, you know, whatever. Or Dahmer, where I'm going to murder you. And like, I'm not sure where this falls. <laughs> like, I literally don't know. It vacillates wildly on the scale. It does. I fucking love that scale. <laughs> the Dobbler Dahmer. Yeah, yes. no. I love saying anything. I don't think Dobbler. Like, people try to convince me that Dobbler's gross, and I'm like, Lloyd Dobbler is an American hero. Oh my god, when he's all sweaty I know, and nervous. I know. And he's yeah. shaking at the he's end. He's shaking. Because he loves her so much. And he, knows, he can't articulate it. I know, so he just shakes. <laughs> and I would love to see that in a romance novel, where a man is so overcome by the intimacy of sex with the woman that he loves, or the person that he loves, yeah. rather, that he just shakes with or the he emotion. Does, like, anything stupid yeah. and uncouth. Right. Just a little bit uncool. Yeah. Just mm. like kind of be. That's the kind of weird I'm interested in. Me too. Me too, Morgan. <laughs> well, maybe we'll get a little bit of the weird we're interested in in next week's. We're going to talk about About Last Night. By Ruthie Knox. The best authoress name in the game. That's true. Ruthie Knox with a K. She likes to knock boots. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for listening. This has been uh, an episode of Womance. Yeah, if you can't wait till next week, you can creep or you can chat with us. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. You can join our Facebook group. Um, If you prefer to express yourself without the boundaries of the public eye or character limits, send us an email. Um, And until next week, remember to loosen your stays. But not your principles. Bye. Hey, folks, it's Morgan. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Womance. Our logo is by Mary Reichman, and our original music and editing is by Nick Gravelin. They're the best. Feeling woeful about waiting a whole week for more Womance? Well, chin up, buttercup. You can creep or connect with us anytime on Twitter. We're at woe underscore mance or Instagram, womance, all one word. You can also find us on Tumblr at womance.tumblr.com. If you prefer to be more direct... Why not send us an email? We're womancemail at gmail.com. Can't wait to hear from you. And don't forget to tune in next week.